0: You are listening to the Hal and Steve English podcast. This is Hal. And today I'll be talking to Jennifer Helfand. Uh, can you say hello, Jennifer?
1: Hi, Hal. Thank you so much hey. for having me on.
0: Great to have you. And um, just let me say if you to our listeners, if you're inspired or you have any ideas, um, that you hear from today's podcast, as far as something you want to apply or create for the classroom, just comment in our Facebook group, and um, I can whip up a conversation lesson or a game attuned to that, um, free of charge. And let me pass it over to Jennifer. She's to give a little introduct to introduce herself and. It sounds like she's got some great projects she's working on her end. Uh, So go ahead, Jennifer.
1: Thank you very much. So um, I've been teaching for 15 years. Um, I'll talk a little more about this during the interview, but I started off as a volunteer teaching immigrants and refugees. This is my introduction to the field. And um, from there, I've taught in four different countries. I've taught in the U.S., in Spain in Argentina only for a month, in Mexico for a month. Sorry, and then I was in Greece in a refugee camp as a volunteer, but just for two and a half weeks. Um, I think I've taught in every possible situation. You can teach in children, adults, businesses, a public school, universities, adult education centers. And um, I'm also a writer and I've published two books. Um, one is a children's book about finding your place in the world when you feel like you don't fit in and about the beauty of diversity. The second is a spiritual allegory about a seed who wants to become a tree because then he thinks he'll be loved. And um, those two books, they're not related to ESL, but they were only possible because of my work in this field meeting people from so many different places and, and being able to travel around. And my latest project is a non-depressing blog about depression and bipolar disorder.
0: Great. Um, is there, so? Is there any way I could preview those books? Do you have them you have them on your website right
1: yes they're they're on my website okay. there's there's links to Amazon and you can read the first I think first two chapters of the spiritual allegory called the life of Zara and the the kids book Nicholas and the Misfit shapes find their place you can see some of the drawings wow.
0: okay yeah I'll definitely check that out myself and uh, I'll drop a link in the the podcast and so. Our listeners can check it out. Thank you. And I will, sure. And I will also put an asterisk next to making sure to get plenty of advice from you because it sounds like you have a ton of experience um, across the world. And I think a, a lot of our listeners may be, you know, new in the teaching world. So I'll, I'll try to tap into that.
1: I'm, I'm happy to share my experiences and, and help in any way I can.
0: Great. Okay, so let's start with, um, can you tell us how you ended up teaching? And, um, and then maybe we'll bridge there into your, your first teaching job.
1: Yes, so I started teaching completely by accident. I, um, since I was 16, I, I didn't want to live in the U.S. I always thought that there has to be more to life than this. I wanted to learn about other cultures and so I always had this dream of living abroad and, and being a nomad for a certain amount of time, which is what I've become. Um, just living in different countries and experiencing different things. And I'd never traveled abroad alone, and my brother said, if you want to live in another country, you better travel to another country alone first. So I did that. I went on this big package tour to Spain, Portugal, and Morocco, and um, I fell in love with Spain. I just fell in love, and I said, I'm coming back here to live. And then I started researching ways that I could possibly do that, and I read this horrible advice that says if you speak English, you can get a job anywhere. So, <laughs> so I, that I speak English, I can get a job in Spain. And I thought um, just to get kind of like a leg up on, on other people, I'll, I'll teach English for a year in Philadelphia. So I just viewed it as a means to an end. And I volunteered to teach immigrants and refugees and in the first five minutes I just I fell in love with my students and with teaching and and it's been that way since. That was my introduction to the field.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um I also kind of knew I had to go, you know, abroad and see the world at a, a fairly young age and I I was actually in high school in the Spanish club and we went to Spain on a field trip. So I have some great memories there. Um, So I can kind of imagine a few things there. But can you tell me, so how old were you when you first visited Spain and and then how long before you ended up there with your first job?
1: I was 26 and I moved there a year and a half later.
0: Okay. And so how long how, how long did you work with uh, the refugees?
1: So I worked with them for a year. I, I volunteered there for a year, and then I think I finished there in June, and then I went to Spain at um, the end of July.
0: Okay, and did you go into that with a teaching degree or...? Did you? How, how did you prep for that experience?
1: I I applied to um for I applied for a CELTA course at uh, International House in Madrid, and I got accepted to mm. that. And it was a month long course. So that was, that was kind of like my, my introduction. I took the course in August, and I'd arranged through International House for housing. I'd housing for a month. And then I got my first job through a classmate. I mean, I had no plans. I went there with two suitcases, and that
0: was it. Okay. Um,
1: Okay. And um, through a a classmate, he said, you know, my my language school needs a teacher for this program that they're doing, teaching the the Spanish army. Are you interested? And I said, yes. And that was my first
0: job. Okay. And you couldn't speak Spanish.
1: I spoke Spanish. I studied it when I was in high school in my first year of college and I I stopped after my first year of college and then I studied again um, one year before I moved but Spanish is so different in different places and Mm. they speak Spanish so quickly and in Spain it wasn't I hadn't studied with a teacher from Spain since I was 13 and my Spanish wasn't good it was difficult in the beginning
0: okay did you how long was it before you felt like you had some fluency and you you kind of were on your feet with Spanish
1: Probably three months just because I didn't I didn't want to make any mistakes you know I
0: thought... <laughs> <laughs> yeah you jumped right you jumped right in.
1: You know, I completely understand when my students are afraid to make mistakes. Because, uh, yeah. you know, I thought, yeah. I'm going to wait and speak when I speak Spanish well. And by the third month, I thought, you're never going to speak ever until you speak and make mistakes. And I love talking to strangers. You know, I just love talking to people. And I still remember I was on the escalator leaving the the metro station the met got off the metro and was going to my my home in my neighborhood and um i said something to someone on the escalator and that was the moment everything changed really in terms of speaking because i felt like okay i can do this and make mistakes and it's okay
0: yeah that's a great that's a great point um i think As teachers abroad, we kind of get some some insight into those language struggles. Uh, Similarly for me, I've had that experience where I have wanted to perfect my, my learning of Korean before I, you know, engage the natives. But at the same time, I know my students that struggle the most, they have that mentality.
1: And how so did,
0: it's given me a lot of understanding
1: and how did you get past that fear to just start speaking even with mistakes
0: <laughs> I, I haven't actually <laughs> so I'll go ahead. I'll admit that um, my excuse I do have one excuse My. Uh, I live in Korea but my wife is Chinese <laughs> so I kind of shifted okay. over to learning Chinese, um, so my Korean's kind of taken a backseat. But yeah, I still have not overcome that fear. I, I would definitely be one of the one of my own challenging students.
1: <laughs> I mean, I still feel that sometimes with Spanish, and I say sometimes my level of Spanish depends on who I speak to you know, if I feel comfortable speaking Mm. to them or not.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um, so let's, what can you tell us, what was your biggest takeaway from that first year?
1: Um, you know, I was just thinking about this question because somebody had asked me about it and, um, I think it was that um, your your students are your teachers, you know. Because mm. traditional education, one of the thing that things that so struck me when I started teaching, was the voice that students have. Because it, I never felt like English was the content; I felt like English was the means for students to express themselves and who they are, and that was so different from you know, typical classrooms that I'd been in, where the teacher has the information and and you need to learn this. And so I really, I mean, I didn't have any training. I had this, you know, three three eight hour, I think it was eight hours of training, three weekends in a row before I started teaching. And that was it. And I was so nervous. And I was very, very shy for many years, so it was like teaching that kind of forced me to completely come out of my shell. And I hadn't prepared for the first class at all because I started as a teaching assistant and the teacher didn't show up one night. And I told my boss, who just is amazing, who I've since become friends with, um, I said, I can't do this. I'm not prepared I'm too nervous and she said you have to do it we don't have anyone else and the first class was okay and the second was okay and the third one my students asked me something and I had no idea what the answer was and I was so afraid that they were going to think I was stupid or wasn't a good teacher that I made up the answer and then I went home and looked it up to make sure I was right and I was completely wrong (laughs) 100%. 100%. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and I went back to the next, next class and I apologized to them. And I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't know the answer. And what I told you was wrong. And this is the correct answer. And nobody cared. No one, you know, nobody made me feel bad. No one thought I was a bad teacher. And just from that one moment, I, I learned so much that it's okay to, to not know i just i learned so much from them at that moment and um that was kind of that kind of set my teaching philosophy going forward that that i'm learning from them they're my teachers and i'm helping them out with english as much as possible but they're my teachers and i'm grateful to them i mean teaching changed my life
0: yeah i love that that's a wonderful point i i often say um that i have learned the most as a teacher you know um but i'm never able to expand to explain it very well but i think that's a that's a great way to explain what what happens is that they're kind of a vehicle for information um yeah so that's a great point and uh i'd also add that i was um I mean, I, I still am uh, quite shy, but in, uh, up into high school, I was painfully shy. I think I got the um, award for being the quietest student in the yearbook, which was pretty embarrassing. I don't know why someone would make that award, <laughs> but uh, to this day, my students ask me, my adult students ask me about my personality, and I say, I'm really shy. And they're like, no, you're not shy. And, I'm, and I say, well, if you're shy and you want to overcome, you know, that then live abroad and become a teacher because uh, it'll change you and you'll have to overcome some things. But I kind of still see myself as shy. But yeah, I, I think I can I can understand your maybe some of your experiences there. No,
1: I mean, I was painfully, painfully shy, too. And I was actually just telling a friend this story that, um, I mean, I spoke in my English classes because I love them. I love writing and in my Spanish classes. I always love Spanish. But in all the other classes, I never said a word. And one day, and I was always horrible in science. And one day my chemistry teacher said all right, I'm going to ask everybody a question and I'm going to start with a one person who never says anything. Who is that?
0: And the whole class said, Jennifer.
1: (laughs) And I mean, I just, I felt so, so awful. You know, you learn how not, what not to do from these teachers too, you know? Oh
0: man. Wow. Wow. To this day,
1: I remember the question and I remember the answer and I'm so sure my grandfather's like in the, you know, who had passed away years ago. They gave me the answer because I knew the answer and he was stunned. And he said, that's right. And he never bothered me again. (laughs) That was it.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, Okay, so let's move on. So you knew that you loved teaching or that you could learn all... There was so much there and you knew you wanted to be abroad. So um, how did your next move play out after that first year?
1: I mean, I'd spent really, I'd spent a year preparing. So it was, um, I mean, it was a huge, huge learning curve, extremely steep because, you know, I loved my students. I didn't love grammar, but I loved them. So I wanted to do a good job for them. And that course was, uh, working as a volunteer, it was um, three-hour classes twice a week. So I'd spend hours, you know, reading how to do this, researching. And my boss knew that I wanted to go into the field, so she helped me so much. She'd give me these books to read, and I'd meet with her before class, and she'd explain things. And you had to apply for this CELTA program. So I already had to study to be able to answer those questions. And then I started doing research about Spain too. And um, that, was, that was how I prepared for my move to Spain. Just tons and tons of research. Hours and hours and hours.
0: So you're saying um, after your first year you went back to the U.S.? And studied and prepared? No, the
1: the first year I was in the U.S. My first year of teaching, I was in Philadelphia.
0: Okay. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. and uh, So talk a little bit about that year in Philadelphia.
1: I mean, it was really, it was amazing because I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I always knew I wanted to do something else too. And I had no idea what. Mm-hmm. And for years, I thought I would take my, my life in a particular direction. Um, I was actually quite religious when I was younger and I wanted to be a rabbi for like 10 years. And um, life uh-huh. happens, you know, and I lost my beliefs, but then I was kind of like lost. Like, what do I do with my life now? And I'd done all different jobs that I didn't like from the time I graduated college. I mean, some were okay. But until I was 28 when I started volunteering and um, then it was just really I loved it so much it was just this intensive intensive like I threw myself into it and I mean I was extremely harsh on myself because I didn't know anything about the field but instead of saying it's okay I mean, I was okay with making mistakes that I learned the third class, but in terms of doing an activity that didn't go well, that it's okay to make mistakes didn't carry over to those activities that I was planning in the lesson plans. And whenever I do one, and I felt like it wasn't good. I mean, I'm sure for my students, a lot of them were great, but then i felt oh that's not good so then i would just research even more and more and how do i make this better the next class and so really that that year of preparing before i went it was just intensive studying how to do lesson plans grammar all different things
0: okay and that that really paid off the um the technical training
1: it paid off but it
0: do you felt that paid off? It
1: paid off, but mm-hmm. I feel like it was still... It wasn't until like year three that I really felt like I could explain grammar well. Because, in fact, I remember in my CELTA course, I had to take notes on what the present perfect was and how to use it. Because you learn English so differently as a native speaker than as someone learning it as an additional language.
0: Okay. Yeah, my impression was like when I taught, I just have a degree in psychology, I don't have a teaching degree, but I felt like, oh, this is backwards, like, you should te- you should be- have some kind of teaching experience, or at least observe it, and then you should study after that, because I, I, I studied and I learned a lot, but because I didn't have any teaching experience, it wasn't really meaningful, um, so it took several years in the classroom before I was figured out, as you say, there there's some differences and how to apply stuff.
1: I mean, I'll say even with this deep learning curve, for me, I did it in a much better way than if I'd started to study first, because it wouldn't have meant anything to me. I had to be in the class with the students. I mean, that's who I fell in love with. And right. It, you know, really, I mean, then doing the CELTA course after I taught for a year, then everything felt relevant and concrete. And when I did my, my master's degree, most of it was so theoretical, it didn't feel like it helped me in a very concrete way in the classroom. And I had spoken with another teacher who did his master's first and he said he walked into the classroom and he felt like he knew nothing because, again, it was so theoretical. It wasn't... You know, it didn't... He had no idea how to actually teach these classes and clearly explain grammar to a beginning-level student who didn't know the alphabet, you know?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the end, were you uh, satisfied with uh, your master's work? uh, (laughs) how do you feel in retrospect
1: if I'm being honest no Um, I love my CELTA course I felt like in that month long intensive course I learned so many practical things Mm. that I put to use immediately immediately in the classroom and that course was really tough because it was all day long and then I go back to my homestay and study for three hours um, three, four hours but I I felt like that course was amazing. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to go into the field
0: Okay, yeah, let's definitely highlight that for any listeners um, that if you're looking to up your game or you're you're not where you're at want to be teaching-wise, that this uh, month-long CELTA Uh, course may be the way to go because i have also heard great things i've had a lot of friends that have done it i haven't done it myself but as you say jennifer i've heard it's very intensive and practical and a lot of experience and then i guess maybe because it's also immersive like you say you're doing like a homestay or you're staying in another place uh yeah so what do you think think there Anything else to add about the CELTA?
1: Because I did it in Spain, I think that made it a little more intensive because I didn't speak the language well. I mean, I got to my homestay and it was booked through through the school I studied at, through International House. And I didn't understand anything she was saying. I mean, I didn't. She spoke so quickly and she also became a friend. But... You know, so I take this intensive and they they said, you know, don't plan to do anything while you're taking this course, don't plan to sightsee, you know, if you don't want to stay in the country after you do the course, add a couple of weeks so you can, you know, if you, in other, if you don't want to stay there teaching, right, if you don't want to look for work, add a couple of weeks so then right. you can tour. And it was super intensive. And then I'd go back to my homestay and I didn't understand a lot. And when I go food shopping, it was difficult. So I think that made it a little more when I go to a restaurant that made it a little more difficult. But then, I mean, you you teach students in, par, in as part of the, the CELTA course. So you're teaching immediately. I can't remember what week in those four or five weeks I started teaching. I think it was pretty soon.
0: So wow,
1: it's intense.
0: <laughs> Great, yeah. The cases I've heard, I think, were in Southeast Asia, um, but yeah, good stuff. Um, let's keep let's keep rolling here. So you finally you did four years in. Yes, Madrid. I was
1: there for two years, and then I went to. Mexico for a month and then I went to Argentina for a month and I was so homesick for Spain that I just I went back and I stayed another another two years
0: okay Wow Uh, anything you would like to share on that on the month in uh, Mexico uh, or Argentina
1: I mean I I've t- taken a lot of I've gone on a lot of adventures without planning much and that was certainly the case in Mexico and it wasn't the best way I think <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man I've been deep into Mexico it's a wild place I mean I was
1: staying with someone and it didn't work out and then through a contact of a contact I I wound up in another city and because of his he had a mother who was at this school and that's how i got my job i mean through this contact at this bilingual school i wound up in the library working in the library and then as a substitute teacher there and i, I mean really wow. mexico was crazy because then i had to find housing quickly really it was uh. it was a complete adventure you could just, you know, it's it's one thing where you you go backpacking and you say, okay, I'm just going to see what happens. But it's another thing when you move someplace with no plans at all. I don't really recommend that. But you know, everybody wants to do things in different ways. Maybe someone wants that total adventure. So, so Mexico was tough. Argentina, I planned a little better. Um, I signed up for a Spanish course because yeah. I wanted to improve even more while I was there. And I did have a contact who recommended me to a school so when I got there I hit the ground running I mean I was working immediately for a school and then also teaching privately I'd researched where I could place an ad to get students so I had private students I'd booked housing beforehand my Spanish was better by then so Argentina was much better but really I was Spain's my place. I was so, so homesick for Spain. I really was.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you... Did you go to Mexico and Argentina with a window open that you may, you know, transition from Spain, but instead you felt that homesickness draw you back to Spain? Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't think... Because I would wanted to travel so much and see different places. I think i left spain feeling like okay i love it here but it's not my place you know i'm gonna travel around and find my place and um things were so hard in mexico and i'd always had argentina in my mind i mean all of these places i had in my mind as places i wanted to visit um and i'd had argentina in my mind so i knew i wanted to go there um i don't think i thought i'd be back in spain as as quickly Not at all. I I think I expected at least a year in Argentina.
0: Okay, great. And you, you mentioned I think as well that you did a a few weeks in Greece. Yes, I did. That was where does where does that that come into the picture?
1: Last summer. Um, Okay. Yeah, that was just something that I. I'd wanted to do for for a very long time and then because of something outside of Greece I ended up not being able to stay as long as I had planned. I planned to be there about a month, month and a half, and that wasn't the case because of something outside, but um uh it was, it's heartbreaking because there is no reason on earth that any human being should live that way. There's, there's no excuse for it at all. And, um, I mean, okay. again, an incredible learning experience, but also heartbreaking. You know, there's no reason for that.
0: So that was a kind of eye-opening, life-changing Experience?
1: I mean, I don't think it was as shocking to me because I'd already worked with refugees for before. I mean, in Philadelphia, okay. I did my master's degree in Boston. I taught refugees there again. So it certainly wasn't like I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know anything about about refugees. That that wasn't the case at all. And I'd done again plenty of research to prepare me before I went because they, you know, about how to handle being there when you feel overwhelmed and how to handle coming back and listening to people complain about there's too much traffic or there's not a sale at the store, you know, and just wanting to scream and yell at people and how you can't do that, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for... For most of us, myself included, there's a. We take for granted that invisible wall <laughs> that we. So we're not aware of that, you know, those huge things that are taking place. Um, but we're kind of insulated from that. So, yeah, I, I imagine that kind of. I can imagine what you're saying, being maybe frustrated coming back from that. Um,
1: yeah uh, and
0: so would you maybe you would recommend that would you recommend that as well? Is there how do you how do you get involved in something like that?
1: I contacted, I, I did research. I knew I wanted to go to to Greece. I did research about all different refugee camps there, all different situations I contacted about 10 of them. Um, this was the first one that got back to me. A lot of others then got back to me, but this was the first one. Um, so I, I told them yes. And um, then I just started to read more about, I mean, they were extremely organized. They gave me a handbook about what to expect living at the camp and what to expect as a teacher and um, yeah. I have one story from the camp that, that I'd like to tell because that was just the, sure. the thing that affected me. There were three things that affected me more than any others, and, and this was one of them. Sorry? Yeah. I, I can said,
0: tell you is. about all
1: three if you want. Um, this was the one that affected me the most. We were in class one day, and my students were talking to me about... All of the injustices that they were experiencing, the camp that I was in, was in Athens, in Athens. And how people looked at them poorly and treated them poorly because they were refugees. And I had a student who was very, very quiet, who almost never said anything. And I didn't know until my last night there, after I finished at the camp, when the education director took me out to dinner. And then she told me that he was actually a victim of torture. I didn't know that. And she said when he got to the camp, his skin was gray, like literally gray, and he couldn't stand upright. So I didn't know he was a victim of torture. Mm-hmm. He almost never spoke in class. And he's listening, and the students are talking for about 10 minutes about all of the problems they faced in Greece and then in a very very quiet voice and he was from Syria he said I was a banker in my country and I hated refugees and now I am one (laughs) and there was dead silence and that just so struck me you know
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, you know, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead and share your uh, your other stories if you. Yeah,
1: the other can. stories are not quite as dramatic, um, although I found them disturbing. Um, just I had met someone there who was was a volunteer who helped out the children and um she was also pro bullfighting and i am an animal rights activist i am a vegan and i just i don't think it's that different from the story with what the man from syria said i think it's how we we justify certain certain violent actions and certain ways of thinking and we kind of draw these invisible lines. And it really made me think, what what barbarities am I closing my eyes to and saying it's okay and being able to say, well, this is not torture, what we're doing to this animal. This is, this is entertainment and it's okay. And at the same time, knowing how horribly refugees are being treated and what was done to them, it just, struck me as very, very incongruous, and really made me think about what, what am I closing my eyes to? What am I justifying?
0: Yeah, so you're forced to rethink a lot of things, I guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, it just, it made made me think about about a lot of things, it really did.
0: Okay on anything. I mean anything the third
1: else? this third story is kind of mm-hmm. I mean I for me they're all heartbreaking, but my last night there, people made feasts for me. I mean it was just unbelievable. The generosity of the people's just astounding. And when I came back, one of my friends asked me, How do you think Americans would fare in a refugee camp? And I said, Not good. <laughs> you know, I think With this mentality of, you know, independence, I don't need anybody, you know, I can do everything on my own and I don't think this is a society in general that really looks out for each other. And the kindness that I was offered, I mean, people Mm. living, you know, they called them containers, I felt like it was an apt title for them, living in containers buying food for me to prepare for me feasts one woman prepared for me an eight course feast and she apologized she said I wish I'd been able to do it for you I, 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 there, there's no words for this
0: Okay. yeah I I've never had an experience like that but I can say that Uh, when I was in middle school and high school I I traveled with my mom on uh, mission trips and we went to uh, Costa Rica and there's a lot of poverty there and I was just blown away with how kind and how giving and uh, loving the the people were and and there was this uh different sense of community so what you said kind of reminds me of that initial experience i was just uh i was just really blown away I mean, by the people
1: certainly there's exceptions but i'd say in general in my travels to different places i found that the people who have the least in terms of money and possessions are the ones who give the mm-hmm. most and yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, yeah, my experience would my matches that.
1: I mean, the other, the third experience, well, I should say fourth, because the, the meals people prepared for me, I mean, I went to, you know, nobody referred to them as containers. Everyone referred to them as homes. And I went to another family's home and they had these pillows set up that I was supposed to sit on. Like I was for for honor, you know, to honor me. And I was above everybody else and I didn't want to sit on them. And they they just insisted. And for me, it was an honor being invited to their home and this meal. And for them, it was an Mm -hmm. honor having me there. And, you know, the, the third experience that, you know, I said the three that most impacted me, I guess it's four because the generosity of the people in general just blew me away. But in one person's home, again, someone else who prepared for me this feast. I mean, her her two-year-old son was three. She had four children. And he just, he took a glass of water and poured it on his sister's head, who was eight years old. And the mom was just laughing. And he took a glass of Coke and poured it on his sister's head. And the mom was just laughing. And he took he grabbed hold of her hair and just started pulling and she was crying and screaming and the mom was just laughing and I went over and pried his hands off her hair and he had pieces of her he had strands of hair in his hand you know and when I opened his hand and just um I don't know just There were just so many things that shocked me there that... I don't know, it's it's very hard to describe that, that being in this place where people are treated horribly and and still someone's son is treating the daughter horribly. And it was just very... That was one of the experiences that, that struck me a lot.
0: Yeah, that... Again, yeah, that's those experiences sound so striking. That I imagine going back to normalcy from that kind of thing must be must be interesting.
1: The, 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 I mean, this is of all my teaching experiences, this is where I spent the least time, and I think I'm talking about it the most. So, you know, I'm happy to talk about other other experiences. But there was, you know, another the same woman who prepared this huge meal and with the children, I mean, she invited friends to her, to this container, to her home, and she wanted me to meet them. And, you know, they they turned up the music super loud and we were taking turns belly dancing. And for a moment, and everyone was laughing so much. And for a moment, I completely forgot where I was. Just the kindness. Oh, wow. Okay. the, The kindness and just... It was just a very, very overwhelming experience in, in as many ways as it can possibly be.
0: Oh yeah, I, I think that's a great, a great little curve, or a little twist there for our listeners to hear about um, those kind of experiences, because um, I, 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 myself. Uh, haven't heard that much uh, either and you say that um, the way you got involved was you researched online right and you found like maybe 10 websites and you just got in
1: contact yeah yeah. despite the fact that I go on so many adventures planning absolutely nothing (laughs) in terms of there are other things that I research okay. a lot, a lot, and, and volunteering at a refugee camp was one of them. And really, I just typed in Athens, Greece, refugee camps, and I whatever came up, I just started researching. And I think I typed in Greece, sorry, refugee camps to begin with. Mm. And the, this one in Athens was the first one to get back to me. And um, then I just started researching more about what life is like there and, and what to do in different situations and... Yeah,
0: just research. Okay, great. So, so you've we started off. You, you know, you knew you wanted to travel. You knew what you wanted to teach. Maybe at some point, or you didn't know you wanted to teach at the beginning. You knew you wanted to ride. Um, you did four years in Madrid. And you've had these incredible experiences uh, in other places in the world and let's fast forward so where do you go from there uh, where has it led you uh, what are you up to now and what are you um, right now, to I'm do teaching next?
1: online I've been doing that for the past three years and um, I started okay. backpacking was supposed to be a backpacking trip around the world. I started that last summer, and actually uh, the refugee camp was my second stop. An island in Greece was my first, and the refugee camp was my second stop. And then from there I kept traveling and teaching online as I went. And um, at this point I'm just, I'm ready to settle down. I would like to write full time. Um, I'd like to write some, some things for the... For the ESL field, kind of like a really a book about everything I wish I had known before I started teaching, but um, what I'm working on now is just trying to to let people know about my books and, and share this website, and then Settle Down in Spain, this would be great, and then in terms of future projects, I'd love to use creative writing as a way to help refugees process trauma as a way to empower women, um, just kind of use writing in that in that capacity and help with mental health issues. That's hopefully within five years. Right now I'm trying to focus as much as I can on, on my creative writing and share that. But I'm still teaching online.
0: Wow, so you have... You have been on the, should I say, on the road? I've been teaching online for three years. years, I've been
1: traveling around for, for a year since summer 2018.
0: Okay. Okay did you and where have you been where did you teach online the the first first two years years? from
1: my parents home because I wanted to you know to focus on my books and I'd been teaching at a university in Philadelphia and there's you know I couldn't write like working at a university and, and going home and writing it was just not possible so I left the university I took like three months maybe four months where I did nothing but work on my first book between like 10 to 15 hours a day that was it and um then I started teaching online and then I at the same time I was working on my second book I think teaching sorry sleeping two hours a night and I finished the second book and the next month I set off traveling Really, I lived like a recluse. I was a very good artist. I lived like a recluse for two and a half
0: years. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, so... I... I think we can kind of end on this, uh... on this topic. Um... Maybe we should have started with it, because I think people are I think there's this idea and at least America this kind of dream life that we grow up with that's an idea like you're talking about like traveling the world and just sort of teaching online or doing something so that the focus of your life is, is not your job but you know seeing the world having experiences maybe you know writing doing something else and then doing something such as teaching to to fuel that that lifestyle and um i think i've recently seen a lot of programs promoting this idea like hey do you want to travel and see the world you know sign up with our online teaching program and you can you know do that so do you what would do you have anything to say about, can you tell us a little bit about your experience of, of, um, traveling and teaching online at the same time and, and how that, how you honestly, coordinate it's not that. as
1: glamorous as it sounds because I mean, it was, it was amazing. I, I wouldn't trade it for a second. I'm ready to settle down now. So I think probably my, my comments are going to be different now than they would have been six months ago. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're working while you're, you're traveling. So, you know, my first priority always was, is there a good internet connection? And I got to, to one place in, in Turin yeah. and it wasn't, you know, and I email all my Airbnb people before I go, how's the internet connection? And everyone says, oh, it's fantastic. And no, it wasn't. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't connect to, to Skype at all. So then I had to find a solution for that. And my Airbnb host was great and she found a solution for it. But, you know, there's always that panic. Will everything be okay? Like I had to be up and running pretty quickly. I mean, I moved, like I arrived in the city and the next day I was teaching. And, you know, my schedule, I couldn't, I don't have, you don't have a, at least I don't have a nine to five schedule with teaching. So my schedule was all over the place. So I teach in the morning, I'd run out, I'd go sightsee, see something, I'd run back for my afternoon classes, I'd try and see something else, I'd have my evening classes, if I had time, then I'd go see something else. And certainly it wasn't like that every day, but there were days like that. And it just, you know, it got, it got tiring after a bit, you know, living in Airbnbs and This past summer, I stayed with friends a lot more than than Airbnbs. I think half my time was with friends. You know, another incredible benefit of this job is that you make friends from all over Mm -hmm. the world. Um, But it's... Mm, Yeah. You know, it also... Like it gets lonely at a certain point because you're constantly moving if you're not staying with friends you don't know anybody in these places and even though I'm now outgoing and meet people all the time you know you don't generally get a best friend within 24 hours you know so it's a phenomenal yeah. experience and I know there are people who do it for years and years and years but and my intention when I started was to do this for like a year and a half, two years. That's not the case anymore. So,
0: yeah, that's yeah. I know because I know there is that glamorous appeal, but my personality type is that—that's what I would be worried about. I'm, you know, if I. If I have to teach a class at five p.m. and I've got the rest of the day free, I'm going to be worried, concerned about that. Not not able to really fully enjoy myself. Like, will be, will I be able to get a connection? Yeah. You know. Uh, so I I think I'm kind of extreme, but yeah, I can imagine yeah those I mean kind really yeah. situations.
1: Yeah, sorry. Having to balance, balance everything. everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not kidding when I said, said it was
1: stressful because, like, I teach for myself, but I also teach for a company. So it's not like, you know, with my students, I can say, oh, I'm sorry, this didn't work out, mm-hmm. you know, be another, you know, 24 hours, I can't do that with the company. But at the same time, I need to earn a living. So it's not like I could just, you know, even with my own students be like, oh, okay, if I don't teach you for another week, it's okay. I, you know, I an internet connection was a priority. You know, so this really was a worry. Before every Airbnb that I checked into.
0: So, how many hours would you say you you typically did a week uh, Um, while traveling? Probably
1: 20 a week.
0: Okay, so... That's, you know, almost full-time, right? maybe,
1: Maybe that's not right. Maybe it was 20 when I started, and then as I went along... During Christmas time, I mean, there's always, you know, people go on vacation. It's less students than maybe it was like 20 when I started off. Um, you know, I, I think that was it. And I, I mean, like, I know, I know, I, I know I lost one of my students, really, because I was it was just a disaster. I was staying at a friend's place and she had a bunch of roommates and one of them liked to walk around in a towel You know, and he passed by me while I'm teaching these classes. (laughs) I hadn't been teaching this student very long. She said, where are you? And I'm so so professional in everything I do. (laughs) And it wasn't like he did it once. I mean, I wound up, there was nowhere for me to teach. I was teaching in the hallway and I was teaching her like three times a week in the early morning. And this is when, you know, he decided he's going to walk around in the towel and... You know, I know I I lost a student because of this. You also have these moments where, you know, it's like maybe you're not going to be in the most professional place. And, you know, there are things you cannot prepare for when you are constantly on the move.
0: Wow. Yeah, I'm sure you... you... (laughs) Looking back, you you know, it's very funny. And
1: he told me all the time, you're not bothering me. Don't worry about it. I didn't know how to say, like, yeah, but this is not good for my students. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And another friend said, you need to charge extra for these classes, like English plus. (laughs) No. Wow. It's all an experience.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah uh, well, let like I said, let me um, end with giving you one more chance to maybe give some advice any so maybe your top tip or trick or uh, strategy. For ESL teaching now, I I know that there are a lot of you know different you know depends on the culture the age, but you know maybe just just pick a, a tip or strategy you'd like to share share or perhaps uh, a resource or a website that has maybe you know a go to um, for you.
1: All right, I'll do the websites first um, for grammar. Um... Perfect English grammar, and let me just double check because I'm pretty sure there's a dash between each of those words. That's perfect dash English dash grammar. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: For me, that's a phenomenal grammar website. Like she's got infographics for all the verb tenses. It's it's just a terrific, terrific website. I sign it to my students all the time. They love it. Um, for listening, um, hold on. I don't think that one has a dash let me just double check no i think it does have a dash Mm -hmm. Uh, esllab.com this is fantastic especially because you know right now i'm teaching adults who work in business and they don't have a lot of time and you know, all of these are things, they're broken down, they're very short activities. You know, if you've got five minutes, you can do a listening exercise. So, esl-lab.com is a great one for listening. Um, news in Levels is terrific for reading. Okay. Um, yeah, can you hear me? Okay
0: you there I'm losing you um, I don't know if you got I the last website
1: that I mentioned for reading yeah I gotcha it's news in levels
0: I, I did not what, what was that one okay in
1: terms of advice like classroom advice gotcha. is that what you mean
0: Sure, I'm going to I want to leave it kind of open if there's anything in particular you want to say as far as advice, but I think that that would be um, I
1: guess the first thing I would say point, is if you're um, if you're nervous you know, cla- or if you're undecided about getting into the field, just jump in. Like it, it, you can't be more nervous than I was when I started teaching and mm. really it took It was a lot of work to overcome being just like painfully shy and you're never, you know, someone told me you're never, you can't think your way into something like this, you have to do it. So I would say just jump in and if it's not for you, that's fine, but just do it. Um, I would say start off teaching as a volunteer with immigrants and refugees, because you will meet the most amazing people you will ever meet in your life, just incredible Mm -hmm. and the third most important thing I would say is, like, enter the classroom knowing that, that they are your teachers. You know, this is not even 50-50. I think they're going to teach you more, you know, than, and do your best. Do your best to, to give them as much as they give you. That's, that's my advice.
0: Great excellent all
1: right Hal. thank you very okay. much really it was a pleasure so
0: i guess we can stop here huh it was a, a pleasure talking to you as well i'm sure um our our listeners will be pretty happy with this as well and uh
1: okay bye Hal. thank you we'll very cut much off here
0: uh uh talk to you soon jennifer